So it's good to be back and gather back together as we talk about kind of reconnecting with one another and joining together. And as we talked about this, we were talking about, you know, the, the joy of coming together when, when we have those wonderful, blessed events that are known as family reunions. Y'all have family reunions? You know, my mother's family moved to the Texas coast in the late 1800s, and most of those rice farmers up and down the Texas coast are related to me somehow. I, I, you know, I mean, remember going when you're a little kid and you go and, and your grandmother mother and your grandmother and all, they're going, well, now this is so-and-so, and they're your this, that, and the other. I'm telling you how you're all connected with all those people, right? And you're, you're coming out of there just kind of dazed because you can't remember who they all are and how you're related to them. I'm still there, you know? I know I'm related to them. I just don't remember how. We found my grandmother's Bible the other night as we're unpacking in our new house. And uh, Cindy opens it up and she goes, oh my gosh, this is a huge Bible. Why is it, why is it so big? And I said, well, look, look a little further in there. And she got to the section where they have the family trees in there with all the names that my grandmother had written in there of all the, the family members. Uh, and it only goes back so far, sadly, because you know beyond that, I, she didn't write it down. And beyond that, my memory doesn't go. Uh, but at least we have that part of the history of the family written down. And those, all those connections that help define who we are. You know, and, and I still remember going and our, our cousins would play and my Aunt Sally made the world's best coconut cake. My grandmother and my mother, would, or one of them, would bring dewberry cobbler. Now, for those of you who are from up north, dewberries are, are, are a wild form of, of blackberry that grows here in Texas. And, uh, and when you try to pick them, the vine tries to tear your arm off. It's, uh, and they're small. You don't get much juice out of them. And it's really not sweet at all, which means to really make it good, you put lots of sugar in it. Yeah. So, you know, it's a berry, which is good for you. It has lots of sugar and not so good for you. But it tastes delicious. So, you know, we'd always have those good things. And, you know, you, you gather and you get to see people you don't get to see that often. And it's that chance to connect. I mean, you may have talked to them on the phone. Or you might have Skyped with them, and that's okay. But, you know, now you're, you're getting to be with them and see them face-to-face, and that's different. That's different. I mean, there, there's folks you just look forward to seeing, and you're so glad they're there. There's other folks that are there, and you're, you're glad they're there, but you're not really sure how you're connected with them or whatever. And, and then, you know, there's weird Uncle Charlie, right? You know, and all of us have, all of us have those people in our families, right? You know, the ones we're, we're just not sure what to do with. I mean, you know, the, the folks that kind of show up and you're not really sure what you're supposed to do with them, right? You know, my buddy Uncle Cy, yeah, right? I love it. Haven't y'all watched on Duck Dynasty? Did anybody here watch Duck Dynasty? Okay, at least some of you admit it. The other servers are going, oh, no, we wouldn't watch that. But if you haven't watched it, it's a hoot. But, oh, I mean, Uncle Cy gets up and he says things like this, you know, right? He's always been lucky. I'm talking about, hey, a penny on the head inside a horseshoe on top of a four-leaf clover and rolled up with a leprechaun. What does that mean? Does anybody know what he's saying? I mean, people are just going, uh, but he's part of the family, right? And so we, we gather back together as the family of God. And, you know, there's people we're rejoicing to see. There's folks that are here. We don't know them that well, but they're here and they're part of our family. There's folks that we're kind of thinking, oh, that's, that's Uncle Cy. Uh, but, but nonetheless, this is our family, the people of God, and this defines who we are. Let's pray. Almighty God, we give you thanks that you gather us back together this morning. Even though the time's different and things are changed up a little, it is so good to be gathered together in your name. So come and be present with us. Pour your spirit out on us. Uh, Open us up to what you would say to us today. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts 
be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So uh, one of my young colleagues up in Dallas at Munger United Methodist Church is uh, Reverend Andrew Forrest, and he's a very dynamic pastor and preacher up there. And one of the things he says to his congregation on a pretty regular basis is, we are the most connected people in the world and the most isolated. He speaks to a lot of professional folks in that, con- in that community that, that live in that North Dallas area. And, uh, and you know, they're, they're all on the phone all the time and they're all talking to one another and being connected with one another through all the social platforms and in, in touch and all that. And, and yet they're also isolated because they have substituted being connected with technology to being connected in relationship. And it's a poor substitute. Matter of fact, all the studies that have been coming in have said there's a direct correlation between the amount of time you spend on the screen and your risk of depression. The more you're on your phone and on the screen, the higher the rates of depression are. We're the most connected, we're the most isolated. The most isolated. And when we're isolated from one another, bad things happen to us. We've known this for a long, long time. This is some stuff out of the CDC. Social isolation significantly increased a person's risk of premature death from all causes, a risk that may rival those of smoking, obesity, and physical inactivity. Social isolation was associated with about a 50% increased risk of dementia. Poor social relationships characterized by social isolation or loneliness was associated with a 29% increased risk of heart disease and a 32% increased risk of stroke. Loneliness was associated with higher rates of depression, anxiety, and suicide. Loneliness among heart failure patients was associated with a nearly four times increased risk of death, 68% increased risk of hospitalization, 57% increased risk of emergency department visits. And prior to the pandemic, what the CDC found was that roughly one-third of adults age 45 and older were at risk of social isolation, and one-fourth of adults 65 and older were at risk of social isolation. We've known for a long time in our country through, through all the various works that's been done that older adults that isolate and become isolated tend to be uh, much more precarious, much more own, uh, prone to depression and illness and suicide. Uh, what was kind of surprising about this was the fact that actually that extends down to age 45. It's not just people in their upper ears. It extends down to age 45. When we are alone, when we are separated from one another, when we are cut off from one another, uh, we tend to do poorly. We tend not to thrive, uh, and we tend to do things that are destructive. I served uh, in this conference, I served on the board of uh, Ordain Ministry for a couple of decades, and Part of that time I was on what was called the Committee on Investigations, and we were the group that went out and investigated when uh, certain kinds of complaints of egregious behavior were filed against pastors. And over a while we kind of developed a a nickname, we called it Mass Mistakes. People would make mass mistakes. And that was shorthand for talking about money, alcohol, sex, and stupidity. We would go in sometimes and we'd think, now wait a minute, you're serving a small church in a small town, and you didn't think anybody would notice what you're doing? I mean, really? It was, it was stunning. Some of the egregious kind of acts that were done, expecting that no one would care or notice. Because when we become isolated, 
When we become isolated, we tend to become destructive to ourselves and to the people around us. We don't do well. We don't do well when we are cut off and by ourselves. And we've always known that. We've known it for a long, long time. There's nothing new about that information. God made us, God created us to be in relationship with one another. God created us to be connected with one another. If you go all the way back in the beginning, you know, the Lord said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. I'm going to say a couple of things about that. First off, all the women in the room are going, yeah, don't leave the guys all alone with each other. Because you, know, you get a bunch of guys alone with each other, you know, and we all revert back to being like, what, 12 Something like that. I mean, you know, that's, you know so there, I get that. That's really not what this is about, though. This is saying when it created. It's, it's not good for folks to be alone. I'm going to make a, a helper suitable. And that word helper gets a bad rap because it's sometimes seen as a, a subservient kind of reference. You need to hear, it's actually two words in Hebrew that are, that are brought together to make that. Uh, and sometimes translated help meet or help mate. Uh, but it's two words in Hebrew that are put together. Uh, and those two words appear 21 times in the Old Testament. 19 of the times it appears, it applies to God. The word means rescuer, savior, the one that helps us in times of trouble. It's, it's, it's not a subservient word, it's a, it's a rescuing word. And it recognizes the reality that all of us, when we are on our own, at one point or another, we get ourselves in trouble or we get ourselves in a bad place and we need someone to rescue us. We need somebody to be there for us. That's how we're made. We're created to be in these relationships with each other. And if you think about the fact that God as the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is in this relationship, this, this kind of this community of love, divine love, if God has created us in that image then God has created us to be in relationship with God and one another in that same kind of divine love. That's supposed to be part of who we are. And when we don't have that, we don't do well. Jesus recognizes this when he talks about the vine and the branches in the 15th chapter of John. I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you remain, and that may be dwell or abide, translated as well. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Now, I want you to hear that. If, if you remain in me, if you dwell in me, if you're connected with me, your relationship with me, it's a vital thing. It's life-giving. And you'll thrive and bear fruit. But if you break that relationship, if you refuse to be in that relationship, then you wither spiritually and die spiritually. That's the reality of who we are. We are, we are created, built to be in relationship with one another. It's vital to our well-being to be in relationship with one another, in relationship with God. We were made that way. When you go into the Old Testament, there's a couple of stories that kind of witness to uh, the importance of this. 
Uh, in Exodus, there's a story where uh, the people of Israel have been murmuring against God again, because they do that a lot in Exodus. And, and God gets furious at them and uh, initially proposes to wipe them out. And Moses convinces them not to do that. And then as they're getting ready to set out, God says, you guys go ahead. I'm going to remain behind because I'm so angry. I'm afraid my anger might break out upon you. It's an act of mercy on God's part. Moses says to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you're pleased with me and your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you've asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Don't send us up without you. Because without the presence of God, we're not the people of God. If you're not with us, we don't know who we are. And God's answer is, I'll do this because I know you. Not only do I know you, I know you by name. And, and in that time and age, knowing them by name implied a, an intimacy and a familiarity. It's just that not just I know who you are, but I really do know you. You're one of mine. And God lays claim to him. And this is, this is how we are. I mean, we're defined by God's presence with us. We're defined as the people of God when we gather in the name of God. And God desires to be with us. God knows us. And God knows us by name. Each and every last one of us. God knows who we are. God is available to us and, and longs to be found by us. Uh, there's a passage here where the priest goes out and uh, meets Asa and says to him, uh, listen to me, Asa and all Judah and Benjamin, the Lord is with you when you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. For a long time, Israel was without the true God, without a priest to teach, without the law. But in their distress, they turned to the Lord, the God of Israel and sought him and he was found by them. I mean, when, when we earnestly desire God, God's there for us. When we earnestly desire God, God is there for us. And God longs for us to find Him and to seek Him and to be in relationship. This is part of who defines us. We're in relationship with God, we're in relationship with one another. And this network of relationships is, is what is vital to our well-being. Spiritually, emotionally, physically, in every way. It's what creates us, what holds us together, what enlivens us. That's why... Uh, when uh, John Wesley was uh, starting the Methodist movement, he said the gospel of Christ knows no religion but social, no holiness but social holiness. That's not a reference to social action, but it's rather a reference to coming together as the body of Christ. You can't, you can't be a solitary Christian out here all by yourself. You've got to be connected with other believers. It's crucial. It's crucial. Uh, in the course of history of Christianity, You'll hear people talked about as solitaries or as hermits. But you should know that, that in the church, solitaries or hermits were always required to be connected with a worshiping body and always required to worship with that body on some kind of regular basis. Because the church has always understood that when people become isolated, they become destructive to themselves and those around them. We need that connection. Wesley's genius was in recognizing that. And so as people would, would hear and receive the word of God and come to Christ, he would bring them together in communities. 
so that they would continue to be there to support each other, to be rescuers to each other, but also to help each other remain connected to God and keep that relationship strong and keep that relationship healthy. One of the hard parts for the past 18 months has been the fact that we have not been able to gather like we normally would. The choir sang a a beautiful piece by Alan Poe uh, that was uh, based on uh, Psalm 46. Uh, And they sang that this morning at the early service. The last time they sang that, uh, that that stirs readily in my memory, was 9-11. We sang it that evening. You know, when 9-11 happened, the first thing we did was we gathered for worship. The place was packed. We were afraid, and we were anxious, and we were uncertain, and we didn't know what to do. So we gathered as the people of God to worship God. And it was powerful that evening to come together. And for us, it was, it was healing and it was reinforcing and gave us courage and gave us hope. But when COVID started, we couldn't do that. That was one of the hardest things of this. We couldn't come together as the people because we needed to be careful about gathering. And so we had to maintain some distance from each other. And that's part of what has made this whole thing so hard for us. We haven't been able to gather as we have in the past to find that kind of life-giving connection and relationship. And sometimes because we haven't been able to maintain that with each other, some of us have had trouble maintaining that with God as well. So part of the next several weeks is going to be talking about how do we do that? How do we reconnect? Because as necessary as it was for us to be separated and isolated from each other during that period of time, there's negative consequences to that. There's negative consequences to that. The UN estimates that because of the economic slowdown, 130 million more people will starve this year than than before the pandemic. The Medical Association reports the rate of childhood immunization has dropped. We don't know what that portends in the future. Uh, They've also reported reduced rates of cancer screening and treatment in addition to postponed treatment or surgery for other kinds of chronic issues. Again, we're not sure what that will hold for the future. This June, they reported a fourfold increase in depression, threefold increase in anxiety, doubling in, uh, increase in suicidal ideation. And here's the most troubling is among those 18 to 24 years of age, 25% of them said that they had thought of committing suicide. Early on in the pandemic, a, a group of us pastors up in this area of Williamson County met with the sheriff's department. And we heard from them that the rate of domestic disturbance calls they had been receiving had jumped way up after we went into the lockdown period. And the National Bureau of Economic Research has predicted a three-fold increase in mortality and a 0.5% drop in life expectancy over the next 15 years, primarily due to the economic slowdown and the loss of employment. Now, all of this is looking forward and forecasting And, you know, all that can be pretty risky and pretty iffy. And some people will attach a lot of hard numbers around some of this, which I'm reluctant to do because, frankly, we're just walking into an area we don't know. But there's a reality that that what we had to do for this period of time, that there's been some negative consequences to it. And most of it ties to the fact that we broke connection with one another. And for us in the church, a lot of we break connection with one another a lot of us had trouble maintaining our connection with God. As John said, as Jesus says in John 15, right? I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. A number of years ago when we uh, began to work with World Vision, uh, 
One of the books I recommend is a book called When Helping Hurts. And there's a graphic, uh, a chart in that, and I know this is a little hard for you to read. Uh, but the main point of this is to recognize that when we talk about poverty, it's not simply a lack of one thing. That poverty is, it affects all of our relationships. And so they talk about a person in terms of their relationship with God, their relationship to the creation of the world around us, to others, and, and to self. And then they talk about the, the systems around that as economics and religious and political and so forth. And, and, and the point is that, that when we are impoverished, all of those relationships suffer. And to raise a community out of that, you have to reinforce all of those relationships. So, so when they went into Kenya and into the area that we've been in, the World Vision folks first talked with them about what kind of things do you need and developed kind of a, a list of the things to work on first and begin working on that. And we got on board with them as they were doing that, as they were starting to work on the water systems. But they worked on the water systems, and then they had to work on food, and they had to work on medical care, and they had to work on education. But then they had to build up the social systems, networks, uh, the networks are for commerce and business. The faith communities had to be built up. All these different kinds of ways, because in order for that community to move from poverty to abundance, all of those areas, all of those connections had to be reinforced. And it was fascinating to me, uh, time before last when I was over there, and we met with the, uh, the directors of the Matete water system, uh, and sat down with them, and this was the very first water system to be developed in the area. And, and the change that had occurred, because when we first went there, they were all in this place of, you know, what, what can we get? You know, what can you do for us? And so now they're telling us, you know, we've built out our system, we've established it, we're operating, and we thought, what could we do for the community? So they went out and identified three young women, 12 and 13 years of age, who were going to be placed up for marriage at that early age and they brought them on board as interns they housed them clothed them fed them trained them in how the water system operates made sure they went to school and got their education they're supporting them now as some of them are beginning work at the university of nairobi that's not typically what a water system does but it was an amazing thing to see because they had moved from this place of, of feeling impoverished to a place where they felt so abundant that they wanted to pour that out on someone else. That's bearing fruit. That's bearing fruit. When our connections with one another and our connections with God are strong, then we bear fruit. And that's why we're calling you over these next couple of weeks to be reconnecting, to be reconnecting in these relationships with one another and with God as the family of God. Now, I've got a couple of little qualifiers to that. One, uh, it is not a reboot. It's a rebuild. You know, it's not like just unplugging the modem and then waiting a while and plugging it back in. You're going to have to take the thing apart and redo it. This is a little more involved than that. And you're going to notice that things are going to happen a little differently because everything's changed. Second, it's not going to be business as usual or the new normal. It literally is going to be a new creation as we come back. But God's in the new creation business, right? This is what God does, right? If anyone's in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. Something new has begun. We can't simply come back and do things as we used to because all of those patterns have been broken. So now the question is, what happens? And I get people all the time going, well, what do you think is going to happen? What's going to happen? I'm going, oh, you know, I don't know. You know, 
I mean, numbers were coming down this summer. We were looking forward to this, and then the numbers started going back up. Okay, so, you know, things change. Life's uncertain. This is the reality we're living with right now. But even in the midst of that, God is still at work. And God calls us to be in relationship with him and with each other as we do that work. And we can trust that call because we know who it is that calls us. You know, that old saying, I don't know what the future holds, but I do know who holds the future. And this is who holds the future. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, even when the darkness is called COVID. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We've seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. We can step into this new creation even though we don't know exactly what it's going to look like. But we can do it in hope because we trust in the one who's doing the work. We trust in the one who's doing the work. So here's some questions for you. What's been the impact of the pandemic on your life? And everyone's life has been impacted in some way or another. Uh, And it ranges all the way from those that have died and have family members that have died to those who have been inconvenienced. But everyone is in there somewhere and has been impacted in some way. How has it impacted your life? What obstacles are preventing you from reconnecting? What keeps you from reaching back out to your brothers and sisters and reconnecting with them and reconnecting with God? And once you identify that, how are you going to address those obstacles? How can you come at that? What can you do about that? And finally, do you look into the future with fear or with hope? Do you allow fear to be what controls you or do you allow your hope in God? You know, as we move forward into this, God is going to be doing a new thing. And we don't know exactly what that's going to look like, but we trust in him to do it. And and frankly, as we move forward into that, you know, if you're going to have to do this as a family with a group of people, it's a great family to be with, isn't it, as we walk into the future together. So let us walk in fear. Let us walk in hope. Let's pray. Almighty God, we give you thanks that you call us into this relationship with you and with one another, that you bless us with this family of God and that you bless us with your love and with your mercy. And we ask as we come in this time that you reach down into our hearts and bind us closer to you and closer to one another, that we might walk into this unfolding future with absolute confidence, knowing that even though we don't know what that future is, we know that you are the one who holds it and we trust in you. So hear us as we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.